Hey everyone, welcome to the show. This is Ryan Williams. My guest today is Michael Wolf. He's the host of the Next Market podcast, as well as the proprietor for the website technology.fm, which is a curated technology podcast community that the influencer economy is a member of. He's also a writer and researcher who has written for GigaOM, CNN, The New York Times, and Forbes, among many other publications. Michael is a bit of a historian in this early and nascent podcast industry. Uh, We talked a lot about the Mount Rushmore of podcast hosts and some of his favorite shows and what makes them great. So if you're an early podcaster or passionate into the industry, then we dive into guys like Bill Simmons, Roman Mars. Uh, We talk about his interview with Ira Glass from This American Life, as well as his big get to talk to Adam Carolla, which was one of his very early people he looked up to as a entertainer and we uh, get into uh, what makes his shows work and and really the formulas for starting podcasting and getting into the industry so excited to have michael on the show remember to check us out at influencereconomy.com as well as technology.fm i'm on stitcher and soundclouds and itunes Michael, someone I look up to in the podcast community. He's a great guy and a fantastic interview. So without further ado, please welcome Michael Wolf to the show. Michael, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Ryan, I'm doing great. How are you, man? I'm very good. Good to have you. You're coming to us from Seattle. It's nice up here. It's it's probably not as hot and uh, uncomfortable as it is in LA area. I think at this point, you're probably getting a little hot down there. It's been a, it's a really hot and... Uh, and warm summer. It's sweaty, to t- say the least. It's sweaty. Yeah, I wanted to use that as my third adjective, but because uh, it's definitely it stays with you. And I live uh, in the part of town where we don't have air conditioning, um, so it, it makes things very interesting. I have about three fans set up in the living room. All right. Well, I don't hear them on the podcast, so you're doing I had a to good turn job. Them off. Okay, so you're, <laughs> you're going to be sweating. My screen door is shut, and my fans are off, but the audio will sound great. Um, well, it's a pleasure having you, and. Uh, Many things to talk about. I actually just was listening to your Mark Cuban episode. Wow, and you know, uh, that episode I did too early because when you get someone on Mark Cuban on your podcast, that's great, but I had just been doing it for like a month or two. And my high school friend Janet said, after listening to that, he goes, man, Mike Wolf is a fast talker. And I oh, listened to it and I go, oh my gosh, I am talking fast. And I'm a mumbler and a fast talker, so I have to control all that on the podcast. And hopefully I'm doing that today. But at least you're not a close talker. No. I won't breathe too heavily into the microphone <laughs> unless you want me to. No, no. It's not that type of podcast. Not, not this show. It's not in the San Fernando Valley. But the interview was really interesting because you talked about the future of media, internet, streaming of television, cable companies, and it's also relevant now with net neutrality coming up and um, uh, Arero, is that how you pronounce it? The company that just actually was shut down by... Arrow, yeah. They're, the they're, Board. they're fighting for their life. But yeah, it, it was great. And I, I've known Mark Cuban for a, a little while. Um, you know, I have to say, of all the billionaire friends I have, <laughs> which I only have one, but if I had more, I have a feeling he's, he'd still be the most successful. He answers emails. He's just an amazing guy. I mean, like, it's all pretty genuine. And there's a lot of people who have strong feelings about Mark Cuban, but he is actually a genuinely nice guy who's still approachable. And he gives back, I think, to the tech community. How did you first encounter him? He interacted with me through GigaHome. I was running the research group over there, and uh, he was a subscriber to the to the research product, which I thought was really cool. And he would periodically comment on on our on our research, and he would say stuff uh, in the WordPress 
comment section and and so i would just um at one point i emailed him back then and then then when i went on my own and started my podcast i said why not why not ask him and he responded that day he said sure so uh yeah very approachable guy who who has a system i think for responding to email he's talked about i think he talked about a little on that like he does all his meetings via email he's just a machine he really is and he's it's like customer service like if you're a mavericks fan and live in dallas he wants you to love the team i I have a feeling has as his popularity and his portfolio of like invested companies has grown i i I would imagine that's getting harder for him to do because you know i don't know he probably has like a 50 to 100 shark tank companies he owns oh yeah or invest in i would imagine that gets harder is it just you at next market do you have how big is your team with the podcast community group it's largely me i use outsource services sometimes like uh, through odesk or fiverr periodically um, I dabbled with transcriptions because my clients like those. So I use uh, Fiverr and you know, we could talk about that because there's some great services out. That's it. No, it's actually interesting because I, Fiverr, I usually equate with people buying uh, Twitter followers. Yeah. There's <laughs> a sleazy side to that stuff, right? I mean, um, where you could buy a very hollow Twitter following, but they actually have really yes. great um, voiceover types of services and people to do transcriptions starting at five bucks a pop. So if anyone's getting into podcasting, you want a like a professional radio DJ guy to do your voiceover? You could get someone to do it for like ten bucks. Oh no way! Yeah, yeah, and I, I I've done that. And Caleb Bacon, who you know, I think oh, you yeah. talked to him on the previous show. I asked him how he got his great voiceover, and he said Fiverr, and that's how I learned about it. Caleb's a good guy, and so I've used it for it's that, and guy. also for uh, transcription services. And how did you get your theme music? My theme music. I have a couple of different shows. One of them, uh, I have a story behind both. I guess. The one that sounds like dubstep. Yeah, on, on. and it's it, I've I've been thinking about trying some new music because thinking at my age in my forties maybe think people think I'm trying too hard. With it's that, great but. though. It sounds like you're in a, in <laughs> yeah. a visa. Yeah, um, that in is Vegas. actually uh, Jack Conte. Who oh, I'm nice. a big fan of Jack Conte and Pomplamoose, uh, and also a big fan of Patreon, which is I'd love to talk about on this podcast because I think it's a really cool platform. Uh, I had I had Jack on the podcast to talk about Patreon. And I and he had just come out with this new album, and I asked him if I could use it uh, for the intro music, and he said yes. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I got mine from one of my guests as well. This guy Flula, he's a German DJ on uh, YouTube. Oh, cool! And, and he does raps in his car called Auto Tunes, like cartoons. And he he actually did a collaboration coming back full circle with uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Oh wow! Because he made a video about Dirk and the Dallas Mavericks, and Mark Cuban flew him down to Dallas, and they. They sang Satisfaction in the back of a car with, like, beatboxers. And uh, I'll send you the video. It's hysterical. Oh, that is awesome. But uh, but he, awesome. he's on the show, and he said, hey, I'll make this the beats for you for, like, the 30-second intro. Um, so it is, like, sort of piecemeal. You uh, Podcasting, you put it together, and it's like you're never ready for it to launch. Like, you're saying maybe you were too early when you interviewed Mark Cuban, but you also interviewed him at the right time because you want to get good, good, very good guests. Yeah, and that out. was so. I was with Gigom, and I had I've been a podcast fan and listener for like probably six or seven years now. I actually dabbled in podcasting back in two thousand six with a, a media center show. Terrible, it was pretty awful. And then I did one around uh, kind of the the digital publishing world uh, that was getting really interesting. In two thousand ten, I did one. And I had some great guests on that, but that one's defunct now and, and nowhere to be found because I, I basically kind of put that one to rest. And then when I went out on my own, and we and this is kind of the idea where as you, if you're a solo content creator, I, I do believe that podcasting is a good thing to do um, because I think it's a little less 
my thinking was it was it was less crowded than blogging and i'm, I'm pretty familiar with the blogging world because i work for a venture funded tech blog at gigom uh, i write for forbes as a contributor blogger um but it's just so noisy in the tech space it's just absolutely crowded um, every piece of news has 30 blog posts with podcasting you get these you know long form conversations and you develop these relationships with your listeners that I think are really valuable and I think you this has been talked about at Infinum uh, from other podcasters but I think that's a really important thing to note like if you if you sit and listen to audio there's a connection there in someone's earbuds yeah it's a deeper conversation and people feel like they know you um, and they, mm-hmm. they know you personally whereas with a blog post it's it's a very um, temporal relationship and one that you'll probably very one-sided um, but with podcasting you know they'll oftentimes subscribe to your feed and listen to you every single week and those relationships over time I think can be valuable from from a business perspective um, and and just for all sorts of different reasons if you're a content creator and I feel like podcasts is this you know community of people that you can help like Jack Conti for example you know he's not a household name but you've you've seen is it Pomplamoose? is that his band yeah he's 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 a an artist with a pretty well uh, recognized following on YouTube, yeah. and then he also is a venture funded tech entrepreneur. Right, they just raised like what, like ten million dollars? Yeah, a, a lot of money. So, part of my marketing is that that you know people that I'm guests with sometimes share it out. I always get the biggest pops uh, with when I have a, a, a pretty popular guest doing an interesting topic. A good example is Marco Marco Armin, right? So Marco, for those of you who don't know, is the guy who's really the, the lead tech guy behind Tumblr, uh, Instapaper, um, just probably one of the most well-known solo coders out there. And he's, he's right now doing a podcast app, which we're all kind of waiting with bated breath for because it's, it's Marco. But he, he put it out there, and I think I got like a 1,000 downloads just because he mentioned it on one of his, his blogs or something. Uh, I think maybe a couple thousand downloads. So it, it's, it's really important to do, just to have those guys socialize, and then don't be afraid to ask. Right. Well, cool. Well, this is actually a good segue because you mentioned Fiverr before, and you know, you've talked about some of your early guests. And uh, like, what was the, what were the, the, the tools and the goals, and really the first, let's say, the first ten episodes when you got up and going after you had realized you wanted to get into podcasting from working at GigaOM and being a solo creator. Yeah, I mean, this could like be an hour long answer, and I'll I'll try to make this brief because I've had an evolution of thinking and done a lot of experimentation with podcasting. I think that's fine. You know, being an analyst, you know, working and writing for Forbes and Gigom, you have access to great people. So I would, and I have longstanding relationships with people. Like I know um, the, the guy uh, the guy who basically created the DVR, Anthony Wood at at, uh, at Roku. And so right. he was one of the guys I wanted to talk to early. I've, I've had a longstanding relationship with Matt, uh, the CTO at Vizio. And so those were like my first couple of podcasts focused on technology and TV and and I was doing that, and I was I was doing okay. But then at some point, I, I because I'm a guy who's interested in all forms of digital media and markets, I said, you know, the podcasting market's really interesting. Let's do a deep dive on that. And I went like off the deep end, deep into that, and literally spent like three or four months just doing basically research on the podcast market because I was doing it and I was having a lot of fun. And so I figured, no one's really done a great. Uh, series of interviews with some of the best podcasters in the world. So I, I talked to, you know, Ira Glass, Adam Carolla. Um, I talked to uh, Stephen Dubner with Freakonomics. And it was kind of under the guise of writing a, a Forbes article. And I did write a Forbes article that right. did really well. And when that came out, like I had a whole bunch of other people saying, hey, talk to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, what I did was basically 
take I open sourced all those and basically took all these conversations that went to creating you know a, a thousand word article for Forbes and made that a series of podcasts and so it really was kind of a, a nice double dip and like a way to kind of really utilize all the things I was doing. Um, I don't know if it really furthered my business so much because I, I mainly make my money consulting and writing about technology like smart home and connected home, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, and it kind of got me deep into the podcast world where I've had a lot of fun. I've, I've started my own podcast hub, like uh, technology.fm, which your, your podcast is on there. And what did you learn from Ira Glass and these like pioneer podcasters that you wrote the Forbes article about? Like what, what was it that compelled you to not only want a podcast, but just to write this long form piece? Ira Glass is like, has a great background in public radio and like podcasting is now such more of a, of a pop culture phenomenon. But I mean, NPR hosts have been doing it for years. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've explained this before that I feel like podcasting has ridden this wave of like, it's not all that dissimilar. And I'm going to use an old pop culture reference. Uh, it's like VH1 behind the music, right? It really kind of came out of the gate super fast, rocketed to superstardom like in 2004, 2005. Um, but then it plateaued really fast, and then it, it, like in the next year or two, went into the trough of disillusionment, and that coincided, I think, with the launch of social networks, right? And, um, and I think a lot of people looked at Odeo, which was the company that was the the genesis of Twitter. Odeo right. started as a podcast company, a podcast platform, and when they pivoted to social media, and and Twitter kind of took off like a rocket for them, and they left podcasting behind. I think a lot of other people did too, and so you you saw this period for podcasting that were kind of what I would call the kind of the rough years um, where it really plateaued in terms of total listenership and, and people, a lot of people abandoned their podcasts. There were people doing hard work. Um, Clearly the public radio guys continued to march along because they were obviously making great audio and digital distribution was a a new, a new way to reach listeners. But then you saw people like Leo Laporte on the, on the tech side continuing to work hard and, and build a business. You saw Dan Benjamin come out, you know, the 2008, 2009 timeframe and build like a, a really modern approach to a podcast network. And, and then you saw the comedy guys. I mean, you could just, you, we could sit here for half an hour with all the great right. podcast networks in the, in the tech space, like comedy, bang, bang, the your wolf guys and, and all those guys, like sideshow. And so these guys were slowly building business businesses. And if you look back, I really feel like 2008, 2009 was like a seminal year for like kind of the rebirth of podcasting, partly because we, I mean, we could talk a little bit about history here. Adam Carolla basically got kicked off of terrestrial radio and out of a syndicated radio. And it wasn't a week later, he came back with a podcast and he brought with him, you know, his tens and hundreds of thousands of fans around the same time. Mark Maron basically got kicked off Air America. Air America went at the tank, um, the great experiment there. And Mark Marin was, as as you heard on the podcast conversation with me, it was a really interesting. He basically said he was despondent. He didn't know what he's going to do, so he got behind the mic and started podcasting. And and you you interviewed him like where he was like a few years ago, where he was more fresh. Yeah, it was 2000, and, 2011. I feel like at some point, like he might just want to just do TV at some point. I I don't know. I've I haven't listened to him for a couple months, but well, he's he's I think he's like more energized now because he's built this amazing you know, philosophy around podcasting and, you know, he's like the, he's like the, um, Oprah or like the couch, the, the Woody Allen movie couch therapist for comedy. And, but at the time he talked about how he really had no other options. You know, he, he got fired, um, but he still had access to the recording studio. And so they started recording. It was in New York at the time. The podcast started there in the, in, I think in the Air America studios and, uh, and then it eventually right. made his way to his couch. Yeah, it's great. So it's like these people that are rejected by the more mainstream outlets 
actually have more control, more power, and more of an audience if they do it themselves. Like, because uh, it Adam Carolla is interesting because then I believe he took over for Howard Stern, who went to Sirius a few years prior to right, and he was the one of the heir parents. I think it was David Lee Roth, and then in some markets they got Adam Carolla. So even he was like brought in and. Yeah, I mean, I feel like, you know, Adam Kroll is a genius. Anyone who, who is a fan of his and listens to him talk knows that he uh, has one of these minds that he's like Merlin Mann. If anyone knows Merlin Mann, you pro- you're probably a fan of Merlin if you're in podcasting. It's one of these incredible minds that just can crank and go in any any direction and talk about something for like a half an hour and be really interesting. And I think he's been doing it for like almost two decades, starting back yeah. with, with Loveline. And I've been listening totally. back with Loveline. And so I was so excited when he when – he, was on terrestrial radio and then sad the day he got canceled and then uh, elated when he got a podcast. And I think he's, he's, he's one of those guys who's kind of uh, amazing in that he, he's also got a business act, a business acumen and a sense to it. I mean, and he heard it, he heard the conversation with him, you know, <laughs> he fired his dad. Like he's, he let his dad uh, start a podcast and he said, dad, you, you got to make this work. I'm, I'm, I'm paying for bandwidth here. <laughs> and his dad wasn't working at marketing it. And I said, uh, and he also said, you know, his wife started a podcast, but his his wife was working hard, so he let her keep it. Uh huh. She was hustling. Exactly. She's hustling. So what? Um, so who would you put on your Mount Rushmore for podcasting? I watch too much ESPN, and they're always saying, "Hey, who's your Mount, Ru- Mount Rushmore for NBA coaches?" Uh, I think the Freakonomics guys, and um, uh, I think that's a great show. Uh, I, I think Roman Mars with ninety nine percent visible is doing amazing work for the past couple of years. Yep. What's what's his show? Ninety nine percent invisible. Yeah, I've never actually listened to that. I would love to. Uh, it's, he calls it a tiny little show about design, and it's really well done. Um, it, it's it's definitely got a public radio feel to it. But he's been innovative and progressive in that. You know, he came he comes from the public radio world, but he said after going to his his station folks and asking for you know talking about hey can we get some sort of a get some funding for this show and them and them kind of rattling the. The, the empty piggy bank he said well why don't i go and try to kickstart something so i think he's done two or three kickstarters now and every year he kind of he doubles basically the f- amount of people funding it. and i think that's great and i think i know that ira glass is a big fan of 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 roman mars because that's how i found out about roman mars and his show and i think you saw i think about a month or two ago ira and and the this american life folks looking to take more responsibility and that they basically let pri go they're they're their podcast syndicate and their podcast company. And they're basically going to take more responsibility for it. Uh, I think they're working with PRX now. And I wouldn't, I mean, I think that in some sense, Iris got maybe a little bit inspired by Roman because Roman is being a little bit entrepreneurial. And I think maybe, maybe Iris wanting to be a little bit more entrepreneurial around his show as well. And I would definitely put Ira Glass on the Mount Rushmore. I mean, I've been listening to this American Life for a decade. It's amazing. Sunday night, it's like the the podcast I listen to before I go to bed. It's weird because I can literally go through all the different genres. I mean, last I've talked about how last summer I, I really spent a lot of time listening to the the solopreneur and business podcasting space. I I, I really got into Pat Flynn for a while. For those of you who are running your own content businesses, running your own online businesses, you got to listen to to Pat Flynn. And then there's a whole genre around that area, right? Um, a, a bunch of guys doing great stuff there. Um, and then of course, there's tons of great comedy podcasts. I don't need to name them all. Yeah, I mean we know the co- comedy and sports, pop culture ones. Yeah, I would put Bill Simmons up there as yeah. probably one of the great all time hosts. He's I think he's a little bit like Adam Carolla in that like you know you just uh, know he's going to have have great conversation. He's consistent. And, 
Yeah, and he and he he doesn't limit himself to just sports. While he's great totally. on sports, but like he'll talk to guys about literally one of my favorite uh, Bill Simmons shows was he talked for an hour or two about all the great Melrose places. And you know, I'm oh, not yeah. a big Melrose Place fan, but uh, I think we all watched that show. We had a guilty pleasures in the '90s. I sat there with my wife, watched a few of those, and so just hearing him walk through all his favorite shows is just like great entertainment. Oh yeah, I mean, you don't have to say a few shows. I've watched like five seasons of Melrose Place. I'm a uh... And he, he did a great uh, Beverly Hills 90210 uh, retrospective for one of their anniversaries. He had Matthew Barry on, the fantasy analyst. And it was like, he said it was his most downloaded podcast ever. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean, he had Lena Dunham. I mean, I, I, I mean, you can say what you will about Lena Dunham. I think Girls is a pretty, she's fascinating. Good, pretty good show. She's really interesting. She's a great writer. Um, and she was a great guest on his show. And like, so he, hearing Bill and Lena talk for an hour is just a fascinating podcast. And could you actually, how was Jack Conte? You mentioned his uh, Patreon product before. What did, uh, Jack, what did uh... Jack is, is great. He has this infectious personality. Um, he's, if you ever watch any of his videos, um, if you watch, if you go to Patreon, you'll see some of his like YouTube videos talking, uh, really good personality. And I think it's a rare person who's a, and there's a story behind Patreon, how it came to be, but it's rare to get a real creator, like a musician who also, uh, wants to go deep into like a tech startup world. And that's exactly what he's done. Uh, part of the, just to give you a 30 second background. He was roommates with a guy who's, who is an entrepreneur and a coder in college. And those two got together and, and said, you know, there's no really great way that artists are making money today and advertising really isn't doing it um, on, on, and he was like a guy who's getting, you know, 10 million views on YouTube and, you know, not really becoming rich off of it. Um, and so they they thought, well, why not create this platform that allows people to monetize directly? And and now it's it's become this really interesting, th- alter, I think, alternative to Kickstarter, and 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 Indiegogo, which I would call one kind of one-time campaign platforms, whereas they basically created a platform that is more close to the the public radio patron model, where you basically can find your thousand true fans, ask them to give you like you know a dollar to ten dollars to a hundred dollars a month, and then you have this recurring revenue and. You see guys like Tom Merritt. I was on Tom Merritt's podcast yesterday. I think he's getting $11,000 a month from like 5,000 people. That's awesome. That's inspiring. That was impossible, uh, you know, two years ago. Now, there's very few Tom Merritts in the world. Let's let's be clear. You know, he spilled, He spent a decade building a huge following at, at you know, uh, at I think CNET and then with, with Twit over with Leo. But I think it's really interesting that guys like him can do that now. And for you, um, how often are you writing now? Like for for tech articles and websites. Yeah, I write for Forbes and Gigum, you know, a couple times a week. Um, I also write my own research, and I have a couple other projects uh, that I'm working on that I, I haven't really kind of brought to the light of day yet. But hopefully, they'll they'll in the next you know six months they'll come out. And they're media projects. Yeah. Okay. And I might have a book in my future. I've I published a book before um, with Pearson. I, I'd love to do another book too. Totally. What What are some of your favorite startups that have been that help empower creators and artists like Patreon? Um, I think Patreon. I think this isn't really in the world of creators, but more in the business side. I I, I did a podcast. I'm going to publish in about a week or two with a company called Clarity.fm. Um, I think you may have heard of them. I've heard of them. I don't know much about them. Basically, even in the world of like people who have knowledge, but they're not like doing creative arts, but they have like a very specific knowledge on like an industry. Um, they don't necessarily have to go to work for like a big consultant, like a you know uh, uh, an Anderson Consulting or, or whatever. They can hang their own shingle and then just basically charge by the hour using something like Clarity.fm, which is basically billed by the minute 
consulting. So that one I think is interesting. Obviously, I've talked about Patreon. Um, what, what about some home tech products? Like, what should we buy? Like, what do we think about? I don't know, like Google acquiring all these products that like Nest. Oh man, let's start a whole. We, this is a whole nother episode. We'll do that. We got. I'm not going to keep you much longer, but it, I would love to know, like in general, like Nest. Um, I, Google's buying all these home appliances for good reason because they can get data around them. Like, what kind of products are you bullish on right now, and what do you think about the whole Google acquisition of these types of companies? You know, I think that. If you're someone who's a general, I'm throwing curveballs. No, no, it's fine. Metaphor. If you're like a, a general tech consumer, you you have an iPhone, you you know, you just you, but you don't live and breathe it. Oh, I guarantee over the next five to ten years, your your home is going to be more aware of your surroundings and and kind of more interactive with you. And I think the components of that will be um, uh, probably some sort of like video monitoring solution, like Dropcam, which is interesting. Google bought them. Uh, it'll probably be something like. Uh, a wearable, like you might wear a smartwatch, you might have something that is on your body that notifies and tells your home, notifies and tells your home, you know, you've just woken up or you just got home. And and so I think that's really interesting. And that's kind of a space I'm watching closely. And then I just would say, you know, um, just having your, your smartphone as your central command center to interact with your surroundings, including like your front door. Like I have a door lock Whenever I leave, it automatically locks. And when I come home, I just touch it. I don't I don't turn the doorknob. I don't do anything. And it unlocks. And that's all done because it senses that my Bluetooth smartphone is with me. And so I think that's really cool. And oh, by the way, if my mom wants to come to my house or I need someone to go to my house and they don't have a key, I can send them a key on their iPhone. That's amazing. So that type of stuff, I think, uh, I think the general consumer, the average person, probably is just on the verge of learning about all this stuff. And I think now with Apple and Google getting into this game, the smart home and internet of things game, it's going to become more common. It's going to be kind of one of the next big waves. I think if you look at the big tech waves of the past 10 years, it's been iPhones and smartphones. Everyone's got one now. It's been, okay, now we're all watching video over the internet and getting it to our TV. That's, that's a big deal. Then I think the iPad and tablets, the next big wave is going to be things like smart home and wearables. So just uh, just keep an eye out for that, folks. And is that why you are like bullish on podcasts for those shows? Because in the last six or eight months, you've launched what two podcasts in each category, or one? One. Well, I uh, I have a podcast called the Smart Home Show, and it, the reason I really did that is you know I've had such a blast doing the Next Market podcast, and I, I continue to have a blast, but. I was finding that it was more of an eclectic show that allowed Mike to kind of go a bunch of about a bunch. I can't even talk. It's been I only have an hour. I can talk straight, Ryan. If you yeah, no, we we'll close in minutes. I'm, I'm only messing with it. You know, I, it had Mike going down a bunch of different tangents and, and alleys with people he found interesting, but it wasn't as, as going down wormholes. Yeah, but it wasn't as aligned with my business where I actually pay the bills and, and maybe stock away some money for my kids' college as I would have liked. So. I wanted to do the Smart Home Show because that was really aligned with people I'm I'm writing research about, and so, you know, I've I've done a report on smart locks, uh, I've done reports on things like home security, and and I've been talking to all these companies in the space, and it's really done well for me. I mean, a lot of the people, uh, and it's it's like I said, what's I mean, if you think about it from a holistic strategy standpoint, if, and if you're out there thinking about doing a podcast, I have a research business, I have a podcast, and I write for Forbes about things like smart home and connected home and those all really work well together and so that's kind of helped drive my business and so uh, I, I just wanted to do a podcast that was closely aligned with it that I can 
use some of that for fodder for my writing and I, I do that and that's another topic right i mean I, I i just think people should take their podcasts like you're doing for a book i've used those as ways to create articles for forbes and that's done really well for me as well okay and then like i mean who is who is the hardest person to get as far as like you've emailed them multiple times they canceled or they were impossible to get a hold of and that you were surprised that you you reached i think i was most excited about adam carolla and ira Mm -hmm. i mean adam like i've been listening Mm -hmm. to for like i mean i watched the man show and listened to loveline and i feel like he's one of my all-time favorite radio and and talk personalities and so when i got him to do it i I was really surprised and my wife was like excited because she's a fan and then, on, I mean, Ira Glass is like, I mean, he, he's up there on Mount Rushmore podcasters, right? I mean, I think he'll go down as like one of the four or five. So just having time with him and and it, this personality he has on his podcast and on the show, it's like it's him. Like he's mm-hmm. like the nicest guy. Yeah. So uh, that was great. Um, well, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I'm a fan of your show and I'll keep listening. And uh, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. We'll see it at technology.fm. Yeah, check it out there and check it out at your your site as well, whichever. I think it's on me.com.